0: feet and listened to his teaching but martha was distracted with much serving and she went up and said to him lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone tell her then to help me but the lord answered her answered her martha martha you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her This is the word of the Lord. I know a few really lazy people, and I know a few pretty balanced people, but most of the people I know would say they're crazy busy. That is our culture. It's a culture of busyness that I think usually revolves around three things in most of the lives I see. And if you're single or you may have some different details, but you could at least see this as a cultural phenomenon, that number one, a source of our busyness is around our work and vocation and taking next steps there, investing there. Number two, it's around not just family, but specifically around activities for our kids And number three, it's around how do I schedule all of my free time to basically maximize the kinds of things that I want to get out of life? And if you can relate to that, I want you to kind of plot yourself on a spectrum from like zero to 10. Zero is like sedentary, like lazy, doing nothing, okay, no movement, no real trajectory or anything. Ten is like you are constantly going at full speed. You may even feel like I- I'm exhausted, I'm completely at the end of myself because I'm always going, 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 okay? Okay, so zero, nothing, 10, full bore all the time, and I won't have you shout out numbers this morning of like, I'm a this and I'm a that, but how many of you would say you're probably at least a seven on that? Okay, eight, nine, you know, if I'm being honest, okay, um, In 2001, a book came out, I think it coined this term affluenza, but these authors defined affluenza this way. They said, it's a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. And some of you may feel like I got a break from that during the last two years of the pandemic, because many of you that I've talked to, your life was like everyone was disrupted. And that actually gave you more rest than before. And some of you would say, that's absolutely crazy. I didn't have a more stressed, busy two years because on top of all my work, my kids also came home. So I was my children's educator trying to schedule all these things online and Zoom calls with their teachers and all that. And you would say it was busier than ever before. One thing the pandemic did do is give you an opportunity for a reset of sorts. And I'm, you know, sadly aware that many of us, now that things have eased up a little bit, at least for now, have kind of gone right back to former patterns of extreme busyness. So we're going to talk about busyness this morning. And we're looking at a text where Jesus encounters a busy heart. And this morning, Luke's going to show us three things. He's going to show us the root of busyness. There is a ruin of busyness, and there's a remedy for busyness. So you notice this story starts innocently enough, and it's similar to the story last week where Jesus is traveling. Last week, it was a Pharisee invites him into his home, and the Pharisee is the one who's supposed to play host for a dinner. Well, today, Jesus has entered the town of Bethany and has been invited into the home of Martha. Martha. And there are these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And the picture that we have here is that kind of pre-dinner, Martha is very busy about playing good host. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to him teach, just absorbing everything that he has to say. And especially in light of what we saw last week, where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisee for not being a good host is it a little odd to you that Jesus rebukes the woman in this story who's the one who's serving everyone else? And, and i got to be honest, and one of the reasons I chose this one to teach on is because my heart needs to hear this kind of teaching from time to time because my love language is acts of service. Like, I, I don't really understand flowers and chocolates and just, like, you know, romance and stuff like that. If it's devoid of like, there's all these things that you need that I could be doing for you to show my love. And it's a little hard to stomach when you get to a story like this, if I'm just being honest, because I'm like, come on, Jesus. Did you expect your meal to cook itself? You know, like that's great that you're teaching, but at the end of your teaching, you're going to be tired and you're going to be hungry and you're rebuking the one person who's doing all this work to, to make a nice place for you. And someone's got to do that work. And I want to clarify from the outset, because I think what we can do with a story like this is kind of make a false dichotomy between, like, work and, like, just sitting at Jesus' feet. Like, is Jesus just calling all of us kind of to this monastic lifestyle of just, just unplug from culture and just just kind of go do nothing except just be still with God? And I think what we need to understand is that God is not opposed to work. He's certainly not opposed to a servant's heart. Like Jesus said of himself that he did not come to be served but to serve. And so if we read into this story any kind of like opposition to a servant heart, we're, we're misunderstanding it. We're going too far, okay? So there has to be something else going on in this story that's really the root of what Jesus is talking about, besides the fact that like, Martha's industrious, okay? Because you can say on one level, like Martha's the Proverbs 31 woman. Like she's, she's working on behalf of other people. She's working for the good of other people. And you know, I, I think we just read between the lines a little bit and just look at the lines that are there and just look at Jesus' tender rebuke. And we understand Jesus is kind of showing us there's a difference, Martha. There's a difference, friends, between just busyness, and a truly like gospel-centered, gospel-motivated work. And I'm not even saying that from the outside, you could look at two people and say, that's the person who has the busy heart, the busy soul. That's the person who is settled in the gospel in their soul because their work may actually look similar on the surface. But this is really the difference that Jesus is getting at. And I want to talk about that this morning. So, I said, first of all, the the root of busyness. And this is important to understand. What is motivating Martha in this story? Because it's what often motivates you and me in a thousand different ways in a hundred different contexts. You know, would you say it it sounds like it looks like her actions are motivated by love and joy and peace? You would say, no, it kind of looks like her actions are motivated from a sense of duty the way she's reacting, right? So can I suggest the root of busyness is these three words. I need to. So Jesus comes to Martha's house and she's thinking, I need to host the master. I need to be a good host. I need to entertain him. I need to cook a good meal. I need to do a good job washing his feet. I need to make sure that the right people are invited to this dinner so, so everything goes just right. And she's like, she, her mind's just frazzled with like, I need to do this and I need to do this and I need, need to make sure this is right. And we, we know that she's thinking, I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to. Because verse 42, in contrast to her heart, Jesus says, one thing is necessary. In other words, one thing is needed. And he's like, you think you need this and that and the other. You think you need to do this and that and the other. And the reality is you only need one thing. And I want to dig into those three words, I need to for a moment and ask, why do you think Martha felt I need to? Or why do you feel that way? Why do you take on one thing after another, after another, after another, when in your mind, you ever feel this way? You're like, I don't have bandwidth for that. And you're like, oh, but I'll, okay. And then you say yes to that invitation, or yes to that need, or yes to that overtime. Why do we constantly feel the need to do more in our work, in our vocation, with our kids, with our free time? And I think this is the bottom line. We feel I need to, because isn't that doing really fundamentally the source of our identity? It's the source of our meaning or purpose in life. Because that's certainly how Martha felt. She felt like I need to work, work, work and prove like to the master. He's the savior. You know, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, we'll find out later, like these were people who believed in Jesus. They believed that he was the Messiah. So she's like, I, you know, I've got to show that I'm a good host and, and doggone it, I'm a good host. And what she's doing is she's finding her sense of identity. Like, like where am I drawing my validation? Where am I drawing my sense of self-worth? Like, like I'm doing okay in life. One day the master showed up and I knocked it out of the park. That's how I know I'm someone. Mar- Martha, like so many of us, needed to be needed. And I want us to be honest with ourselves if we can relate. Do you ever need... To overwork, I'm talking about your vocation or your job. Do you ever feel the need to like put in those extra hours, file that extra report, do that extra showing, mow that extra yard because you're trying to prove yourself? You're trying to earn the next thing. Or, like, how about this? Some of you who are parents and you live in this culture that that we live in, do you ever feel the need to have your kids in absolutely everything because you're like, well what will all the other moms think of me? My kids are only in seven things. Their kids are already in 10 things and they just started learning trumpet. And you may feel like, I, where, where's my validation if I'm falling further and further behind of, of the breadth of you know, fine arts that I'm exposing my children to? Don't some of you feel the need to constantly plan out every moment of your spare time and then, of course, post it to your feeds because you, you draw a sense of validation from other people thinking, man, they're fun. They know how to have a good time. And I think that's the root of our busyness so much of the time is that we're thinking, who am I without the validation that's afforded me through my busyness? Who am I if I'm not crushing it at work? Who am I if my kids are not well-behaved, well-trained, athletic musicians who know a couple different languages. And we just build on and on. Who am I if I'm not having fun on the weekends like all these other people out there living my best life now? Who am I? And this brings us to the second point, the ruin of busyness. And I want to show you here both a ruinous process and actually a ruinous outcome. If you just follow the natural progression of the text here, you see Martha I think going through these four steps. It starts out verse verse 40, it says she's not just busy, it says she's busy with much serving. Okay? So and and probably all of you have been there at some point where this this is the multitasking in the kitchen. Okay, And you've got this going on over here, and you're like, oh, no, I just scalded the rice to the bottom of the pan because I was over here making sure that the steak temp was just so. And th- that's the idea, okay? So step one is she feels overburdened. Just, just too much going on at once to keep it all as good as she wants it to be to show the master how she can crush it. And, and this is verse 40 where it says, Martha was distracted with much serving, and that word "distracted" here is interesting. It doesn't mean like, doesn't mean she should have been focused on this. And it's like we think of distraction this way: I, I was supposed to be focused on this, or like this teacher, and uh, and my mind's kind of somewhere else. We think of that as distraction. This word actually means basically the idea of being drawn out is the root word here: drawn out, stretched too thin. Okay, overoccupied, overburdened is the idea. She's got too many irons in the fire, too much multitasking, and that's step one. And a lot of us, you would say, okay, I'm, I'm at step one right now. I feel drawn out. I feel stretched thin. I know I've got a lot of stuff going on. I'm spinning a lot of plates. Step two, she feels anxious about that. Okay? And you see this in verse 41 where Jesus just, just pauses and says, Martha, you are anxious about many things. And you you see this anxiety in her heart of like, come on, Jesus, can't you see? Can't you see how busy I am? Like, aren't aren't you concerned about how busy I am and how lazy all these other people are being, particularly my sister? Right? So she feels anxious. Step three, she feels self-pity. And now she's at the step of like, why do I have to do all this work for myself? By myself. Like no one's helping me. So self-pity. And then step four, she feels resentful. And incredibly, she feels resentful. Verse 40, not only to her sister, she's like, Master, tell her to help me. She's just sitting there doing nothing. And I love this. Help. Help in the Greek is the word soon lambanamai. So I just hear her like, she's not just saying, Jesus, tell her to help. She's like, Jesus, tell her to anti lambanamai. It just sounds frustrating, like, right? So she's like, Jesus, and she's resentful of Jesus of like, I know you're the master and I know you're teaching, but like, do you seriously not see what's going on right now? And you don't care? So you just, you picture this scene and like, Mary's just sitting there with her little eyes and like, master is incredible, and everything he says, and just the way he makes me feel, and the way he makes other people feel, it's just so welcoming, and Martha's in there, like, banging pots and plans, and she's, like, talking to herself, but just loud enough so the other people have to hear her talk to herself, right? And she's, like, over here giving the, the stink eye to Jesus and Martha, and all this is going on, and I think we can relate, and I think, in fact, we can reverse engineer this in our own lives and just say, Are there times you feel the last two steps here, you feel tremendous self-pity and therefore resentful toward other people? Maybe in the office place, wherever that is, in an office, out in the field, in a classroom, where you know, like, I got anxious and now I'm like, now just, well, I guess I'll just do it all myself. And you feel so bad for yourself and so resentful toward others. And I think we can reverse engineer that a couple steps and be like, do you see the anxiety right before that? And do you see how you are taking on way too much right before that? That's why I say there's, there's a ruinous process here. Overburdened, anxious, self-pitying, resentful. And let's look at the ruinous outcome. And what I mean is I want you to notice how Martha's busyness ruins her perspective of herself, of her work, of other people in her life that God put there to love, and of God Himself. Okay. So I said she has a ruined perspective of herself because she's she's anxious, she's agitated, she's angry. You know, you could you could go through layers of personality and say psychologically, she she now has a harmful uh, self image, a harmful narrative on repeat in her head okay? Emotionally, you can see that she's pretty worked up. Physically, she's getting worn out. And like we can broaden that and just say, like, do you know that this affluenza, this busyness that we choose because we're trying to find our identity in something, do you know that it has all these layers of effects in our life too? And we got a number of medical doctors and nurses and medical professionals in here, and they could tell you better than I am that they see people with like high blood pressure and heart arrhythmia and migraines and no sleep and just all these problems that are associated because your body's keeping score. Your body's keeping score of all that anxiety. I got to do all these things and all that frustration that you carry. It's a ruinous outcome for yourself to embrace this lifestyle of busyness. You see this ruined perspective of work because, I mean, here's the master and she could be like professional chef, just like I, I delight in being able to do this thing for Jesus. You know, maybe the first time ever that he's come to my home and like what a joy. And I know friends like that. It's just like, it is literally a joy for them to cook meals for other people and then see those people enjoying it. But she no longer has that view of her work. Now it's a duty. Now she's banging the pots and pans. Now she's... Now she's like, I, I got to power through and get this done, and now it's not going to be the way it was supposed to be because I didn't get the kind of help that I should have gotten. So she's got a ruined view of work. She's got a ruined view of others. She's got this tension now with her sister. She do not want to, you, you ever do this, you're like, this was all for you, and now we're sitting down at the table together. And it's like, imagine that conversation. You know, she's all worked up, agitated, and now you're just going to sit down and have like a pleasant meal? Like, she's, she's ruined that relationship accusatory toward Jesus you see the ruined relationship even with God where there's this bitterness and this judgment of like you don't seem to care you ever do that where you're so overtired so busy with so many things you get to this and you're like where are you in all this God speaking of people that aren't showing up in my life where are you Like, aren't you going to send other people, other partners, other laborers to help me in this thing? Don't you care? And I think this is so important because if you're anything like me, we can tend to take all of those problems and just project them outward and say, look at how bad all these other people are. Look at all this pain and misery that they are causing me. And it breaks down relationships. And I think part of what Jesus is doing here is, is trying to say, Martha, do, do you see that this actually started in you, in your heart? And it's not just that everybody else out there is doing something wrong or is not doing enough. There's something going on in yourself where you don't see yourself clearly. You hate the very work that you set out to enjoy. You're mad at the world. And God seems like either an absentee father or a petty tyrant, and you're just mad at him too. So, how do we stop the death spiral? And this is the third point the remedy for busyness. And we find it in verse 41, especially, where Jesus just pauses, like, Look, I see your concern, but says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And I want to show you three principles here in closing. Like if I find myself busy, stressed, anxious, self-pitying, resentful, if I find the truth of some of what I said earlier where I'm finding my identity in being busy or some of those different aspects of busyness, where do I go? Okay, principle number one is, and this is what Jesus is teaching her, Okay. Principle number one, seek your identity and satisfaction in the presence of God. Seek your identity and satisfaction in the presence of God. Our culture, we, the church, we often rush straight to doing. And we skip right over being with. And I want you to notice that discipleship is first and foremost a call to be with Jesus, okay? And we're, we're skipping over that if we're like, I just want to be like Jesus. I just want to do so many things like what Jesus did. I want to do those things, his mission. Well, we missed the, the foundational fundamental thing. If we're just being like him and doing what he did, we need to be with him. We need to be present with all that we are. Okay, so again, Jesus is not setting up some kind of false dichotomy between being and doing and saying you got to choose. The key issue is this. Martha was seeking her identity and satisfaction in her performance for Jesus rather than her presence with Jesus. And that is a problem in religious circles like Grace City Church. And I'm not, I'm not singling out Grace City as like this is uniquely a problem here at this church. I'm just saying this recipe for disaster that we would, we would put so much focus on my performance for God. And by the way, I'm not even using that word performance negatively. Like look at me. Look how awesome. I'm just saying our doing for God rather than our presence with God. And Jesus is correcting her when he says Mary has chosen the good portion. And that's an interesting way to put it. We don't, we don't use that terminology anymore. But when he says good portion, I guess where we use this, we have, we have at least one nutritionist in here. And so she would know. You have this thing like portion control. And a portion control is the idea of like kind of retraining your body and your mind of like this is the amount of food and this is the, the nutrient-rich meal that should satisfy me. So a portion is what satisfies you. And he's telling Martha, your sister has chosen to be satisfied by the one good thing. You have tried to be satisfied by a number of other things, and that's the reason that you're so dissatisfied. Mary's satisfied because she chose the right thing. You're dissatisfied because you chose wrongly. And I think what Jesus says here is alluding to passages like Psalm 73, where the psalmist writes this, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Okay, what's the psalmist saying, what's my portion? What, What am I looking to to satisfy me? He's literally like, I'm looking to nothing else on earth to satisfy me except your nearness, God. Your presence with me is the thing that I am seeking my satisfaction in. Your presence with me and for me, the gift is what I'm seeking my identity in. And I say, if if your life is not centered in and satisfied in Jesus, you'll never have enough. And I think part of the reason that we're just grinding with busyness in so many areas of life is that we are not just We're not content with the simplicity of, hey, this is the life that Jesus has called me to, and he is with me, and he's for me, and I'm good. And I don't have to engage in the rat race of trying to prove myself to anyone, including myself, because I'm finding my identity and satisfaction in the presence, in the nearness of God. That's the first principle. Principle number two, and again, we're we're talking about the remedy of busyness. Principle number two is let the gospel define what is actually necessary. Let the gospel define what is actually necessary, because, and I, I share that because we got to remember Martha's thinking: I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do that, and I need to do that, and now I'm scalding this, and now I'm like, where? She's doing many things. Verse forty-one. No, I want you to notice this contrast in the text. Verse 41, many things. Verse 40, much serving. But Jesus contrasts that with verse 42. Just one thing is necessary. And my question to you is who or what do you allow to define for you what you need to be doing? Does your boss define for you what you need to be doing? Do your coworkers define for you what you need to be doing? Are there general, I think this is most of us, there are general unspoken expectations. You're like, I just know how my peers think. Where do I get most of the I need to from? I just know how people are. I just know what expectations they have of me as a worker, as a teacher, as a mom, as a spouse, as a friend. Maybe it's your own unwritten playbook. Or maybe some of you have actually written this out. You say, here are my dreams. Here are my aspirations. Here's, here's how life's going to go. Five years, 10 years, 20 years. Here's kind of where I'm going to be at. And you're exhausted. Let the gospel define for you what is actually necessary. Because you'll find in our culture, and I'm talking about Western culture is this way, progressive culture is this way, our world says, go, 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 do, do, do. Your vocation is probably saying, go, 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 do, do, do. Religion, religion is saying, go, 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 do, do, do. And Jesus is like, stop answering to the many things. Just focus on the one thing. See, I want you to imagine getting hired for a new job. It's your first day on the job, and your boss sits down with you and goes over this job description. Let's forget about all the HR stuff because that's not interesting to anybody, right? So your job is giving you the job description. And it's like, this is, this is what I expect, this, and this is how I'm gonna measure your effectiveness in work is that you do these things. And then you go home that night and you show your three-year-old this list of expectations. Your three-year-old's like, nah. Uh, Pop-Tarts in the break room. Um, Nintendo whatever the newest one is, play, I'm going to date myself, PlayStation 5? Am I close? So you go back in, and you're like, all right, sweet, sweet snacks in the break room, um, no expectations, got all this stuff lined up, and you'd be like, you're, you're crazy. Like, why, why are you trying? And you go home, and you're like, I did it, son. Like, I did it. I put all that stuff that you wanted, and your boss, like, you're fired, like, day two, right? Because... But, but this is kind of culturally what we're doing. is like your, your master, your one master is like, this is what's necessary. And we kind of like turn that off and we go back and reengage with culture and listen to all these other voices that are saying, no, no, no. You want an identity. You want validation. You want affirmation. You want to know that you have self-worth and you're somebody and you're doing okay. You got to do all these things. And that's why I say this, this point is Jesus is like, Martha, It's not about work or not work. It's about letting the gospel define for you what is actually necessary for your life. Your identity is not found in what you're doing, let alone what you're doing for God. It's found in what God has done for you. So unplug from the expectations of people. And I'm not saying don't do your job well. Don't hear me saying that. But I'm saying that that's not where you're drawing your identity. That's not where you're drawing your affirmation from. Okay, then thirdly, third principle, constantly evaluate your priorities and your productivity. Are they from God and are they for God? Your priorities and productivity, are they from God and are they for God? Okay, so let's talk about just like your work environment for a moment. Most of you have a job. If, if not, if you're a student, think about that as your main environment. What are your priorities in that? Work environment. And how do you define success? How do you measure productivity? How do you know in this job, like, this is enough or this is, like, too much? How do you know those things? Who gets to tell you those things? And, and my response here is, regardless of what you do for work and regardless of who answers some of those questions for you, what would happen if you said, God, in my job, I want to prioritize just big rocks, that are near and dear to your heart while I do this particular job? And, and kind of same questions for my productivity. Like instead of thinking I've got to do, always do more, never do less, like what would it look like just to surrender my work to the Lord and know, God, this is for you? And I think in that meal somewhere, like obviously Martha lost sight of the fact this is for Jesus, right? Because she's starting to, her focus has shifted to herself and the tensions that she's starting to feel. The inner turmoil that she's starting to feel. Which is why Jesus says you're anxious and troubled about many things. Because your focus has shifted to the many things that you're anxious and troubled about. Um, when, I, when I say for God, I think we understand what that means. Like this is for you. This is for your glory. I don't need to get validation and affirmation from my job. Because I get that from God. So there's not this big, empty void that I'm walking into work with every single day, like, please fill my cup because I'm coming in empty. You're coming in full because you've spent time in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of his word. And you're free to serve without needing, needing, needing from others. Okay, so we understand for God, for his glory. When I say that, that our priorities and our productivity is from God, A couple things. Like, am I doing what I'm doing? Are you doing what you're doing? Just, it's the best that you can do. Are you actually stretched where you're like, God, this has to be from you and through you, or this doesn't happen. Like, I'm getting my priorities from you. I'm getting my my sense of what is productive, what I need to be doing with my day from you. But I'm also, that strength, that wisdom in real time, to do the next right thing, that character, that faith is coming from you. And so again, I don't think the point is like, stop working, Martha, just be like your sister and just listen. But there's a, there's a transformation of heart that Jesus is calling for here where we now can go in the workplace and we can work and we can work hard and we can work sometimes to the point of physical and or mental exhaustion because Jesus himself did that at times but it flows from a correct heart, and it flows from a correct way of thinking. You ever do all the wrong things until you actually sat down with the person that you were doing all that stuff for? Like, there have been times in our marriage where we had tension, which, looking back, I, like, laugh at, because here's kind of how it goes. Like, um, I'll take a day off work or something, and I'll be like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wash the dishes, and I'm going to vacuum, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean the garage, and I'm going to cut the grass and, like, plant some flowers and, uh, and actually make the bed because I'm usually the last one out of the bed, and it's usually not made, therefore. So I'm going to make the bed, and I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to oh, go cook dinner, like, light some candles, get it all ready. And, and Marty comes home and is like, hey, how was your day? And it's just like, and I'm like, she's, she's not noticing all this incredible stuff that I did for her, um, and, and sometimes you've that conversation of like, hey, like it really hurt my feelings when I did all these amazing things as an incredible model husband and you did not just light up with joy the moment you drove in the garage. And uh, she's like, and I remember, she said this a couple times. She's like, all I wanted was a hug. All I wanted was a hug. And it's kind of this, that kind of feeling of like, so often instead of just sitting down with the one, like Christ, that I want to please with my life. We're like, look at all these things I'm doing for you. And I'm spinning all these plates. And my job is for you. And even the stuff that I do with my kids is also for you, Jesus. And then I'm early to church and I'm helping. And I'm staying late and I'm tearing down and I'm in a gospel community group. And look at all this stuff I'm doing for you. And if you were just like, just sit down with Jesus as it were, he'd be like, I didn't didn't ask you to do all that. I just wanted to hug. Like Just be present. And then let that presence with me now redefine how you go back out and work so that you're not frazzled all the time, you're not frustrated all the time, but you are finding joy in your work. So one more time, here's your theme. Jesus is saying prioritize presence with God over performance for God. Prioritize. The idea is not that I'm not working for God, I am. But the work flows out of the presence. The presence, you see what I'm saying? You can't do it the other way around. Prioritize presence with God over performance for God. And uh, let me share some stories. How does that transform your work this week? How does it transform how you're viewing family time and even free time to say, God, with the totality of my life, I want to prioritize presence with you, the posture of a disciple over just doing, doing, doing for you. All right, let's pray.